Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Know the Faith, Defend the Faith. My name is William Hemsworth. Great to be back with you for today's episode. Please welcome our guest back to the program, uh, David L. Gray. David is a theologian, a radio host at Guadalupe Radio. Catch his show every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time on Guadalupe Radio. And check out his website, davidlgray.info. And also his great books, uh, including Divine Symphony and the Catholic Catechism of Freemasonry. Uh, David, welcome back. How are you doing today? Man, doing well. It's a pleasure to be back here, William. Glad to be back on again. Great show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming back on. It's always great to talk with you. And I'm very interest, talk, interested to talk about our topic today because I've never talked about it with anyone else before. So we'll, we'll oh. hop into it. Wow. All right. And our, to- our topic today is critical race theory. And um, I know you've done quite a few things on this theory. And yeah. uh, one of them was on your radio program about a month ago. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could start from the top. What is the critical race theory that we hear so much about today? Right. So there's a popular version of it today that we see being taught in diversity programs and in universities and schools. But the critical race theory actually has its origins. Um, we just say, well, I'll start with Derek Bell. Derek Bell, he was a uh, um, professor. Um, this is back in the late 1960s. And he was looking at jurisprudence and law. And he was seeing, he was saying that it was because of that, because of law, that blacks were being discriminated against, that there were some aspects of the law that um, was, was harmful to blacks. And he's looking at Supreme Court cases like, you know, things like Dred Scott and things like that, things that um, were, were um, did put black Americans at a disadvantage. Um, but, um, and so that was his focus. Um, and he was also looking at universities, seeing how people like him wasn't able to get tenure at university. So he's just, okay, here's a law. And just looking at the law, it appears to be that the law has put blacks at a disadvantage. So, but the critical race theory, if once again, once we get into the philosophy of it, we can really trace the critical race theory all the way back to Marxism. And what, what I mean by Marxism is that um, there are some aspects of the critical race theory, such as creating a victim class of people. Um, such as um, saying in, uh, that this group of people who is being harmed by that, by um, a superior group of people for the critical race theory, it's a legal establishment. Ultimately, ultimately it's white supremacist, right? But a critical race or Marxism was some of the early byproducts of Marxism that we saw in America. Was not, it didn't begin with the critical race theory. One of the first things we see is something called a Black Hebrew, Hebrew Israelite movement. Um, we see them um, as a part of the Marx, Marxism. They also uh, have a victim class of people and, and white people are the problem. And there has to be some sort of theological revolution. Later on, we see Marxism show its head again with the, with the nation Islam. Again, black Americans are the victim class of people. They're being oppressed by whites. They need to be delivered. They need a savior. And then the white people are a blue-eyed devil the nation Islam taught. Um, those two niche groups really didn't catch on much because they were they were niche. They were small. They were, weren't really attractive to a lot of Black Americans, um, in or a large group of white society. It just seemed kind of weird. But so Black liberation theology comes on in um, later on with um, James H. Cone. He's African Methodist Episcopal um, um, preacher. And he starts pushing this thing called Black Liberation Theology. Liberation Theology had its roots in South America, really. But there was this Black Liberation Theology where Black Christians were, the again, the oppressed people. They were being held down and oppressed by, they were a victim class of people and they needed a savior. And it was the white religious establishment they needed delivery from. So 
in this this trajectory of this same Marxist ideology that we see by the Hebrew Israelites, Nation of Islam, Black Liberation Theology, Critical Race Theory, 1619 Project, all the way up. It's just this repetition of the same idea of creating this, this victim class of people that needs um, delivery from others. Okay, so what has, I guess, how has it stepped, how has it proliferated in the last couple of years? Because it seems like you hear mm -hmm. that term everywhere mm -hmm. nowadays. Yeah, so it's really become popular, I would say, probably in the last, the last 10 years, it's really had a, a really great, it's had a great fertile ground at a lot of our liberal universities, right, and professors um, have used this as a construct to try to explain what they saw in America as um, classes of people. And the, the fundamental problem of the critical race theory, I have to say this first, that the fundamental problem of critical race theory is that it only takes, it only looks at one aspect, just the law to try to explain problems, disparities. And in, in science or anything, um, any form of science, or whether it's theology, whether it's medicine, we don't never just take one set of data, even if it's economics, we don't just take one set of data and try to explain everything with that one set of data. But that's what a critical race theory tries to do. It tries to look at the law itself as, as the only sort of, sort of source of data only that they're going to use to try to explain everything. And that's, that's the problem of it at, at its core. So for over the last 10 years, it's, it's been this, it's, like I said, have fertile ground in universities and they're trying to explain why Black Americans seem to be disproportionately affected in prisons, in, in, in um, employment, in, in housing, in um, economics, and things like this. Um, why are they seem to be disproportionately um, behind other groups in this country? And they're saying, well, it's because the law is the problem. The law, the legal structure has put Blacks at a disadvantage. Okay, is that where systemic racism comes in? I am here. Where it's the law that kind of creates that bubble. Oh, say that again. You're a pause. Say that again. Okay. Is that where systemic racism comes into play? Where everything's built into the structure? Um, so, yeah, exactly. So they was, yeah, because within the structure of the law itself, um, the law has created a system by which um, Blacks are disproportionately affected. And so this is what the idea of systematic racism that all these systems, not just the law, but the system itself that depends upon the law, um, such as the enforcement of law, your prosecutors, the police departments, the judges, um, because of that there's a whole system in place, even with capitalism, there's a whole system in place that, that the law has empowered to harm black Americans. Gotcha, okay. So how has this, how has CRT kind of got into the church? Oh, man, that's, that's, that's a great question because it's, it's also been pervasive there. I mean, for some of the same reasons, um, these, some of our so-called Catholic academic institutions have, have drifted left over the last few decades. And so again, in those universities as well, we they found fertile, fertile ground to really fester. And 
And, you know, the critical race theory is popular because it's emotional. It's easy. And it explains a lot of things in very easy ways. It's very easy for people to accept um, because it, it appeals to the emotions. Because um, I think people want to feel like, oh, the law is the problem. And people, I think a lot of people do want to feel bad for people who seem to be disadvantaged by the law. And so the law is just an easy place to point to as being a problem. And I think a lot of our bishops and our, and our priests have, they've appealed to this. And it's been a really popular movement. Black Lives Matter, which is another byproduct of Marxism. They've also been very influential in, in, into spreading that narrative. The law is a problem. We have to defund the police. And just, it's, it's a whole narrative that I think has really become a bully structure and a bully mechanism to compel a lot of our bishops and a lot of our priests to just accept because to not accept it means that you're the problem means that you're the racist and nobody wants to be a racist right and so but but that's the bully platform that this critical race theory has so how could we as catholics um i guess how could we because you said it's emotional so how could we reason with those who maybe adhere to it or talking about it what what are things we could do to reason with them to try to get them to see i guess its roots really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, w- I would say two things i think especially we as catholics um and even protestant christians i think we have to appeal to not emotion but just to objective facts and logic for example the sin of racism racism when it's used by in a construct of critical race theory, racism is racism is just an emotion. It's not something objective. It's you know you can just throw racist out. Everything's racist nowadays, and so but racism, as far as what, from our perspective, racism is a sin. It's a sin that's attached to pride. It's it's a sin that's objective. It's a sin that's some, oftentimes verifiable, and so um, and, and so it, so the solution to fix racism. You know, racism is never going to end more, no more than, I guess, adultery is ever going to end because it's a sin, right? right? But it does have a remedy, and that remedy is Jesus Christ. It's his grace and his sacraments through his church. We can do things to become better people and holy people, so we sin less. And so it's to Christ that we turn to. We don't turn to mantras like Black Lives Matter. We don't turn to projects and programs like the 1619 Project to try to deconstruct people's brains or brainwash them to believe something else. No, if it's a sin, the only the only remedy for sin is Christ. Amen. And so that, that's the first thing. And um, I would say the second thing is that, yeah, there are, there are problems in society. So we can't just say, okay, it's, it's grace alone. Okay, so it has to be, it has to be some work in this, and so it's okay to look at areas where okay, so good, blacks seem to be disproportionately affected here. Okay, let's. Law as just our own own data set to try to explain these things, but also let's look at the application of law. Um, who who applies these laws? Maybe, perhaps there's a problem here. Perhaps there are some bad actors there. But I think the most important thing we have to do is focus on looking at the third house in that neighborhood, I like to call, which is the people being affected by the law. And let's dig in there to find out why are they seem to be disproportionately affected. Um, and so I think the, what I found out, and I, you know, especially reading some of um, 
um, Thomas Sowell's books, uh, especially race and culture, I think and I think he points out if we dig really deep into some of the problems that black Americans seem to have, then we'll notice that the, the law is not the problem, nor, nor is it the application law. What's going on here is really three things. Um, it's, it's a lack of two-parent homes, because we know throughout the world, if you have two-parent two homes, just do better in every statistical category. Second, it's education, which goes really back to the first problem. You know, oftentimes single parents, sometimes they live in poorer neighborhoods. Poorer neighborhoods have worse schools. And so education becomes a problem. In poorer schools, there's higher dropout rates. So education is also a key. And, and the third thing is morals and values. I mean, did you know, William, that I think in 1962, they really started taking education, us taking a, um, prayer and Bible classes out of school. And I think this is 1962, right. I want to say. And then 10 years later, did you know that the prison population exploded? Exploded, just had a complete explosion. And so I tie those things to the two together, the, the morals and values. Once we took Christ out of the schools and, and parents weren't teaching morals, um, um, prison population just exploded. So it's, 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 it's um, single parent homes, I mean, two parent homes, which comes to, again, a Christian value of marriage, affected by many things. If we just improve those three things, I think we'll see a different trajectory for these communities that seem to be more affected. And we can't just also just look at Black Americans. I think some of the, right. some of the same problems are, are suffered by Appalachian people. Um, sometimes even poor whites, like in Southern Ohio <laughs> or um, Hispanic communities. And so a lot of people are affected by those three, those three things. And, and um, we just can't always just make this about race. Uh, I, think, I think there's some critical issues there's some critical human issues that we have to really, as Catholics um, and, and Christians, everybody, all people of goodwill, really need to dig in and find solutions to these problems and start really just focusing on just one data set that in itself turns out to be racist. It turns out to be racist because when you when you when you treat Black Americans as if though they have a, hand, a handicap, as if because of the color of their skin, they need to be given social security disability in the moment, of their, moment that they're born. When you treat black people as handicaps and saying they cannot achieve anything because of the color of their skin, that they don't have to have personal responsibility because the law is a problem, that they don't have to have, um, that they need help to achieve everything. Well, it's always, it always comes down to really just intellect, I think, because I think black Americans, people hold black, as black Americans to a high standard when it comes to athletics. We're expected to run faster, jump higher, and, and perform better in athletics. But when, when it comes to other things, we have very low expectations and that in itself turns into racism and um, a form of um, thinking black people are inferior and if blacks are inferior, there's also a superior class of people. So it, it develops into all types of problems that are becoming very detrimental in society today. So correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of sounds like the theory started as a I guess it had good intentions, but it's application and ultimately it's implications totally go against what it's meant to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't have a huge problem with Derrick Bell set for him using one data set, but I think he had a good idea to kind of look at the law and to look at um, some of the laws. Like I think I mentioned, um, I mentioned Dred Scott right. and um, there was um, Dred Scott versus Sanford. There was John Kaser versus Anthony Johnson. There's Plessy versus um, 
Ferguson. So that means so that you we look back to some Supreme Court rulings in in some we look at Jim Crow law. Um, and so my issue, so I don't have a huge problem with their um, him looking at saying, okay, there are some issues here. I do have a problem with him just using that one data set to try to explain everything. And also I have a problem with him trying to say that black Americans are still affected by slavery today. Although he was speaking in the seventies, where it's a little bit different, you know, 40 years later, today, 50 years later today. But <clears throat> this idea that, um, that we're still affected by slavery hundreds of years later, I think again, is that it's a more, we don't have to take accountability. There's no personal responsibility in place. Okay. And David, how does the whole idea of anti-racism fit into critical race theory? Have you heard that term before? Anti-racism. Well, there, there, I saw something on Twitter and there's a whole book about it. It said, if you're not anti-racism, that you're actually a racist. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I, you know, I really haven't <laughs> into that. I, yeah, I've seen it like like you you come uh, come across it and i always i always thought of that along the same lines is the idea of white guilt and people having to feel bad um about the color they were born and i think it sort of just plays into just this whole um there's a reverse victim mentality that you know if you and people just always want they make you feel bad if you don't have a certain type of emotion and so i always thought that played into the, that same narrative of, of white guilt okay that's definitely what i've seen as well because some of the tweets i saw you know if you're not speaking out against racism we see you like okay what's that yeah. mean? like yeah this emotional bullying that's kind of it's kind of scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah no let's talk about what all, what you're doing for a moment what's going on with uh david l gray and uh, all the things you're up to Oh, let's see. So I think you know, my projects are, are the same things I'm trying to accomplish this year. The the, the book that's coming out in November for um, Black Catholic History Month about I'm putting together, well, St. Thomas Media, we're putting together a collection of essays of Black American Catholics or Catholics who are Black Americans who have found tradition and they've been surprised by tradition and whether it's been a traditional Latin rite or it's been I'm just a return to traditional practices and devotions. And so I think as a society, I'm really excited about the whole trajectory of this, this growing community who have found a traditional Latin mass and they bring a return to that type of that type of liturgy. And the smaller segment of that, um, the Black Americans who are returning to the faith of people like Father Augustus Tolton and all the, the Black Venerables and, and Blesseds, uh, Pierre Toussaint. So that, that is very interesting look at that. So I want to see that continue, that community continue to grow. And so I'm excited to um, work with St. Dominic's Media to tell their stories later on this year. Great. That's in November? You saying that was in November? All right, we have internet issues. Good stuff, <laughs> man. All right, so that comes yeah, out. I think the recording, the recording still stays good, right? I believe so. I will check it out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you said you were saying that comes out in November. Yeah, so that's going to come out in yeah, hopefully November first, just in time for Black Catholic um, History Month. Oh, great! That's from Saint Dominic's Media. All right, David, any closing words on maybe what we need to know about? critical race theory or 
or maybe maybe what issues it may cause. I know we kind of went over it, but any closing words on that? Yeah, yeah. ultimately, critical race theory is racist itself. It it fosters um, supremacy and inferiority. Um, both of those. <laughs> and, and so it, it pretends to fight against something called white supremacy, but actually it, it fosters it, it, it breeds it, and at the same time it breeds black inferiority. And so the longer we let this thing linger around, the more we're going to hear things such as that was coming out with Lori Lightfoot, who a little while ago said she only wants to talk to black reporters. So we can't keep thinking that we can put this idea out there that there's an inferior class of people and those inferior class of people who believe that are going to rise up and there's going to be some issues down the road. We also can't believe that we can't keep telling people that they're inferior to, they're superior to another group of people and won't think they won't continue, they won't believe that and it will affect them emotionally, spiritually and how they interact with other people. So we, we have to push back against this critical race theory with just objective facts and data and keep reinforcing the fact that racism is a sin, it's not an emotion and Jesus Christ and his church are the are the bomb to heal that sin amen well david thank you for coming on today to talk about the topic and sorry for the internet gotta love cox sometimes but uh <laughs> i appreciate you coming on god bless you